now we have a personal living relationship with the God of this universe. Not through rules and regulations, but by grace. And in that relationship, we abide in Him. And He abides in us. That's the New Testament perspective of how to overcome loneliness. What does community look like in the age of the pandemic? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The transition from community to loneliness has been a gradual one that started decades ago. But the recent pandemic has accelerated this trend in startling ways. So how does loneliness affect us spiritually? Here's David with a message simply called loneliness. Let me begin by referencing a study by Robert Putnam that was put into a book in the year 2000 called Bowling Alone. Uh, He was talking about how America used to bowl in leagues. A place of community would be people coming together and bowling together in leagues. But then he said in around 1980 to 1990, people started bowling alone. They no longer had community. They no longer had close friendships. And he started analyzing why America moved away from a society of community being important now to a society of loneliness. And he gave several reasons for this particular problem. First of all, the breakdown of the family. As more and more divorces have occurred, people feel detached and lonely. God wanted the family to be the first place where a man and woman would be each other's best friends. But then also the children and even the grandchildren raised in that community would know each other well But that has broken apart, thus causing the severe problem of loneliness in our culture. And there are marriages, even some of you are in them, where you are with someone, but you're very alone. You're not in a relationship. And that's sad beyond words. Second reason Putnam gave was rootlessness. Uh, Really, rootlessness can be traced to the desire for material possessions. It's funny, whenever I speak on materialism, most of you think I'm talking to somebody else. But it's a problem among us all. We want more and more, and we're never satisfied. In our quest for more and more material possessions, we then take another job in another city that gives us more money, then another job in another city that gives us more money, thus destroying the whole fabric of friendship which keeps people together. If you're not in a community for more than just a couple of years and you're moving from one place to another, you can't have deep, abiding, personal friendships. The desire for job success and materialism motivates rootlessness. Thirdly, Putnam said, deferred marriages. Not only are people marrying less, they're marrying later, if at all. And because the family, again, was the place where God wanted those deep relationships to begin to be formed, if people are marrying later and less, that means that structure is demolished and you just don't have those close friendships like you used to have. Fourth, garage doors. And some of you are going, what in the world is that? That's when you work those long hours and your hours are increasingly longer because you want more and more stuff. When you finally do get off work, you go home and if you have one, you open the garage door with your clicker, you pull your car in, and then you lower the garage door thereafter. And then you throw the alligators in the moat to make sure that nobody bothers you once you're home. 
It used to be in churches that we would practice door-to-door evangelism. We would go randomly knock on doors and just give people the opportunity to dialogue with us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not done anymore, mostly because nobody opens their doors. Once they're inside and have closed the garage door, they want solitude, they want to be left alone, which leads to the next issue, technology. Technology. In 2000, Putnam pointed his finger to the largest victim technologically, and that was television. That as people went home and went inside, they spent more and more hours watching television. Now, it's not just TV, is it? We have our mobile units, iPods, iPads, uh, iPhones, and we can watch any television program, any movie, anytime we want to. And the problem with technology is not only that we spend enormous amounts of time watching it, it's just not conducive to building strong, deep interpersonal relationships. Think about it. If I text you a message, first of all, that autocorrect oftentimes sends a message I didn't even intend. What about you? (laughs) And you have to resend it going, no, didn't mean that, meant this. And sometimes it says some things, well, let's not go there, okay? (laughs) Moreover, if I send you a text or an Instagram or an email or whatever, You can't see my eyes. You can't see my body language. You can't feel my touch. And all of those and other things are essential in building close, meaningful, personal relationships. So technology today has isolated us, entertained us, and kept us from being involved in deep meaningful relationships. Sixth, death. Some of you are experiencing the fear of loneliness that will accompany as you age. As people grow older and the rootlessness has caused family to move away, people are alone without anyone to care for them, and the thought of moving into a nursing home and being alone is overwhelming. And finally, sin. I mean, just pure, unadulterated sin keeps us from a close, personal relationship with God. And I'm going to address that in a moment. That's the reason Jesus came, is to get rid of that sin problem so that we could be reconnected to the abiding, permanent presence of God. So what does the Bible have to say about loneliness? I'm going to give you three verses, then we're going to move into some practical application and a lot of other verses, but so we can show reverence to the reading of the Scripture. If you're able, would you now stand and look at these verses with me on what does the Bible say about the problem of loneliness? First of all, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Genesis 1 and 2, as you have a biblical worldview, shows creation as God intended it. Genesis 3 is the fall, shows why this world's in the mess that we're in. But here's God's original intent for community or for relationships. Genesis 2, 18. Would you read it with me? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. He breathed his spirit into him. And then he said, but it's not good for Adam to live alone. So please note that God created Eve from Adam's side. Notice, guys, not from under his foot, but from his side to be a helper, a helpmate, and that in community together they could accomplish God's call upon their lives. 
We were created for community. We were designed to be in relationships with other people. That's God's original intent. Then Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Ralph, I hope you don't fall anytime soon, okay? Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, some of you know this verse is often read at marriage ceremonies, and it could well be. Two is better than one in that marriage relationship. And obviously when it gets cold at night, it sure is nice to have someone to snuggle close to you and keep you warm. That's implied in these texts. But interestingly, um, I think it's talking more about friendships, talking more about relationships. And, And one of the most powerful verses here is when it talks about if you fall when you're alone. And I couldn't help but remind myself of when my daddy, when he was aging, fell and broke his hip in his apartment and he was alone. Mom had died, and there was no one there to help him stand up. How frightening that must have been for him. But also, the text goes on to say, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That two are really cool to have in friendship with one another. It's even greater when there are three. And I would add in four and five and six. It's great when you have a number of people who are in close friendship with you. The word of the Lord. So loneliness is a real problem in in the American culture. The question then arises, what do we do to begin to address it? What does the Bible teach us how to address the problem of loneliness? We begin by giving this answer, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Jesus came to take away that sin problem that kept us from being in relationship with God. The uniqueness of the Christian faith, dear friends, and if you came from a toxic church environment where you were hurt and abused, I'm so sorry. The Christian faith was never intended to be that, nor was it intended to be reduced to simple rules and regulations, a checklist of do's and don'ts, and at the end of the day, you feel like you're good and righteous because you've done good things. The Christian faith is an intimate, personal, living, dynamic relationship with the God of this universe who created us through Jesus Christ, his son. When Jesus absorbed on the cross all of our sin and all of our pain, look what happened in Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemak sabatani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment when he took all of the wrath of the Father upon himself, when all of our sins were laid upon himself, the father turned his back on his son. They were not in relationship with one another. And Jesus felt extreme loneliness. So if you feel lonely, know that Jesus has felt that too. He felt forsaken, alone on the cross. But then, of course, he was raised from the dead, proving that God has accepted our offer of our sins through Jesus to him, forgiven, forgotten, by grace, through faith, not of works. And now we have a personal living relationship with the God of this universe, not through rules and regulations, but by grace. And in that relationship, we abide in him and he abides in us. 
That's the New Testament perspective of how to overcome loneliness. Now, before I go further into that New Testament perspective, let me give you the Old Testament perspective, which is alike that New Testament perspective, but has a major difference. God would be present with his saints, with his people, but if they sinned, he could withdraw his presence from them. King David, for example, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, as he cries out to God for forgiveness, he cries out, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, if people sinned, God could withdraw his presence. But he was also with the great saints of the ages, too, when they needed him. We see it, first of all, in the life of Moses. At Sinai, when God commanded Moses to take the children of Israel into the promised land, Moses responds this way in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, I'm willing to take your children to the promised land, but go with me. Be present. Because if you're not present with me to lead these people, I'm not going. So God made his promise to be with Moses. With Joshua, who was Moses' mentee, Moses handed the mantle of leadership to Joshua to actually plant the children of Israel in the promised land. Here's the promise that God gave to Joshua in Joshua 1.5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be, what folks? With you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God's promise. Then David, the great king, the great man after God's own heart, in the beloved Psalm, Psalm 23, 4, says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are... With me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The biblical antidote to the fear of death. To those of you who are afraid of going into a nursing home and having no one care for you is the presence of God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, the two weapons of the shepherd, will be there to comfort me and help me. The biblical antidote not only to the fear of death is the presence of God, the biblical antidote to fear in general is the presence of God. Isaiah 41.10 reads, fear not. Did you know there are 365 times the Bible says fear not? I think it's for every day of the year. (laughs) Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't fear. My presence is the antidote to your fear. In other words, there's nothing you nor I can face when we know the God of the universe is facing it with us. And then Isaiah 43, 2 through 5, these are some powerful verses. They begin with, when you pass through the waters. Now, let me take a quick parenthesis. For those of you who listen to preachers or other teachers through the week, who suggest to you that if you just come to faith in Jesus, you'll never have any problems. May I say to you, they are lying to you. It's not biblical. It's not truthful. Jesus said, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He said in John 16, to his followers, in this world, you will have tribulations. Just don't forget the second part where he said, but rejoice, I've overcome the world. So if he lives in us, we can overcome our problems with him. But the problems still come to us all. 
when you pass through the waters, not if you pass through the waters, but when you pass through them. And my guess is if you're breathing, every single person in this room has had times when life's problems feel like a flood and your mouth is just above the water trying to keep from drowning. But God says to the Israelites, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. They might be at your mouth, but they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, notice when you walk through the fire, not if you walk through the fire. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Many of you today feel like your souls have been scorched. Your hearts have been singed by life's difficulties. It's something that happens to us all. Myself, Marilyn, and my family included. But when they happen, God makes the promise that he'll be with us and we shall not be burned. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That means he saves us from not only our sins, but our situations. Now, the Israelites had committed heinous sins against God, and he was getting ready to send them into a 70-year captivity in Babylon. He was displeased with their behavior. But notice his promises as their Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are, what, folks, precious in my eyes. Have you ever thought about this? That God looks at you, and he thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you're gorgeous. You're precious in his eyes, and you're honored. Listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a discussion about ways we can be a blessing to others. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city. I'm reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just 
pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, hi, Jen. It's great being with you. Well, in your morning e-devotions, you've recently started a series that we're calling Davidisms. And one of your recent devotions was called Blessed to be a blessing. Yeah, Jen, these Davidisms are truths I've learned through the years from my mom and dad, coaches, mentors, and they've accumulated in my brain. And I've had people ask me, please write them down. <laughs> and so I've done so now. And they're involved in a daily moment of hope that our listeners can receive. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org and you can subscribe to these Davidisms, these daily moments of hope, so that I can start off your day at 7 a.m. every morning with a moment of hope. And the one that we've most recently done is in entitled Blessed to be a blessing. Uh, so when we receive a blessing, it makes us feel good. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. We're elated, sometimes relieved, uh, especially when a financial gift might come in that takes care of a financial crisis we might have. Most everyone desires God to bless them. We cry out to God regularly, mm-hmm. please bless me. And, you know, Jacob in the Bible wrestled with a man that we think was God himself all night long. And at the end of the wrestling match, uh, that angel, or God himself touched Jacob's hip so that every step he took for the rest of his life, he remembered his brokenness and need Mm. for God to be his great strength. But what's so interesting is Jacob finally said to that man, I'm not letting you go in this wrestling match until you give me a blessing. Everybody wants a blessing. So why does God want to bless us? What's the reason? And here's the simple and compelling answer. So that, you know, life's either a so what or a so that, Mm -hmm. a so what of shrugging our shoulders, why are we living? Mm -hmm. But when you realize God's so that's, life starts to take on new meaning. We are blessed by God so that we can be a blessing to other people. That's what God said to Abraham when he called him and made a covenant with him in Genesis 12 too. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's purpose in blessing us is so that we can bless others with his blessings. Uh, He will continue to bless us as long as we use his blessings to bless others. But when we start to selfishly hoard his blessings to us, the flow of blessings from God to us will stop. Yes, seek God's blessings. They're good, wonderful. Just always remember why God wants to bless you. It's so that you can be a blessing to other people. Mm -hmm. Reminder to everyone, you are blessed to be a blessing. Call out to God to bless you. That's a good thing. But just remember, don't hoard it. The moment you do, God will stop blessing you and you want to keep being a blessing to other people. That's so good. It reminds me a little bit of something I mentioned to my children on the way to school in our prayer time. Like, we don't want to be like the dead sea. We don't want to just receive and not have an output of something. We want to continually have a flow in and a flow out towards others. I love this. That's a great illustration. And the dead sea became Came the Dead Sea because it had no outflow to give its life away to others. The same is true when God told the Israelites to gather up all of the manna, but if they tried Mm -hmm. to gather up too much just for that one day, it started to stink. It it started to become bad, and God didn't want that to happen. He wanted us to learn how to depend upon him every day, and when he blesses, simply to be a blessing to other people. A great 
powerful message mm-hmm. for all of us today. So good. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, and thank you listeners for joining us today. Look forward to talking with you all next week. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from a series called Heartbeats from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. Have a great weekend.